the mother speaks of the divine discovery as the pearl of the great price like a pearl it is hidden in the depths of her being covered within various layers and the prize is the ego and all the band of enemies of the soul that support it whose names are lust greed anger fear desire the ego self must go for the divine consciousness to be fully recognized in our lives no doubt he acts even when the ego is there and sometimes windows open and we glimpse the touch bits for a very brief moment it gets closed again so there has to be what shirbindo spoke of as some kind of a self enabling sadhana which on the one hand is an effort to get rid of the ego self first from the crude tamasic rajasic ego to at least sublimate it make it more satvik more refined more noble and then from this satvik ego which still is ego even though it acts according to certain principles and percepts to ascend into that free vast infinite consciousness intelligence wisdom love light bliss purity peace it's a long journey and so great perseverance and patience is required there are many knots within us which we do not know we see only knots in others but when the divine consciousness begins to act then we see all the knots that are actually within us and it takes time some of these knots have to be dissolved gradually with the action of the divine shakti if it is too sudden there may be ruptures some knots do get cut instantly but that is more rare most often it takes time and so patience is needed there are habits of centuries and millenniums not just habits we have accumulated over the course of many lives groups of nature but habits of these species habits of merely living upon earth habits inbuilt ingrained programmed in matter and therefore time is needed this is not a path for the impatient for the non persevering along with that a great courage is needed mother would remind us again and again it is the hour to be heroic and then she reminds us heroism is not what people believe it to be to fight with something outside that is one kind of heroism a preparation but the real heroism the real courage is to fight one's own ego to give it a good knock and a blow when we see it once again raising its head and it takes various forms and mass of which we have been speaking last couple of days and extensively the mother and shubhendra speak about it and as we walk the path in the light of the soul we begin to see it also we should not pursue this discovery as in our ordinary life we pursue ordinary goals very often people particularly with an ambitious temperament fix a high ceiling point and the big problem even in ordinary life is that they lose the joy of the path very often i see this they you know i want self realization i want this sometimes strange goals i want to be a yogi yogi has also become nowadays a very fanciful product in the spiritual market with a quite a <laughs> good price tag attached to it some yogis have some many thousand crore some empire so it's become quite a ambitious you know project and shubhendra reminds us the goal of this yoga is not to become a yogi a superman 
a swami, a saint, or sage of, or any such thing, even the slightest ambition, including the most dangerous of all spiritual ambition, to be a guru, will take us very, very far away from the path. What is needed is to become a child, a child newborn to the Divine Mother, to live in the Divine, for the Divine, by the Divine. Beautifully, Shubhinda describes this form of Mukti, if one may say so. Samipya. As we grow closer and closer to the truth, we start experiencing an increasing closeness to the Divine. No words can describe it. It's not like, you know, it is this way or that way. It is an inner sense which is verified, not just, uh, which is not just known in the subjective depths of our being, but verified objectively in the many, many events, circumstances, situations of our life. It's a growing closeness to the Divine, something wonderful. Shubhinda uses the word Samipya Mukti. The Divine is near us, always but we don't experience, we begin to experience that closeness. And quite naturally, as we begin to experience this closeness, other things naturally drop off. We don't have to struggle or put in effort. Who would like to bargain uh, such a wonderful joy, delight of being near the Divine for anything else? The Mother says in one of her messages, the delight of being near the Divine surpasses everything surpasses success, surpasses joy, surpasses creation, surpasses everything. Then there is also another kind of liberation, not mukti in the conventional sense of cutting the cycles of birth and death, but it is much, much greater. We have a freedom to choose whether we want to come back as conscious beings or we want to stay on some other higher plane of consciousness or we unite with one of the higher lines of descent or we work towards supramental transformation, then we are truly free. Not that conditioned freedom that, you know, we are free only if we don't enter the cycle of birth and death. That's a very conditional freedom. But this is a true freedom. So, Salokya Mukti, to dwell in the same status of consciousness as the Divine. What is the status of consciousness of the Divine? He is all peaceful, all blissful, all beautiful, all loving. So we begin to experience these things quite naturally within us, without effort, because of the Divine grace and the Divine closeness. Naturally, if a king invites us to his palace, and we are having tattered clothes, so, at the first level, some minister will meet us and say, You have a pass to meet the king? Yes, yes, call me. Okay, just wait for a moment. I am going to get you some nice pair of clothes. Take a nice shower and wear these clothes. They have to be worthy to be near the king. We don't ask for the clothes, but they come. Nice shower and the clothes. Then as we go further, they say, Yes, you have to meet the king, but you can't meet the king just like that. So, you know, Something else is provided to us. If we are famished, we are made, we are nourished. And then finally when we go to the king, even though the king is the king, when, we, when it is said that we dwell in the same status of consciousness of the divine, very often there is a misconception that, oh, I become the divine. <laughs> in a certain sense, but better to say, I become a part and parcel, a portion of the divine. Very consciously. That's how it, it takes. Even though the king dines with us, laughs with us, speaks to us, and to an outsider who looks at this scene going on would say, wow, he and the king are equal. That's the king's mercy and greatness. That he makes us equal and one. But the king is the king. This is another, very often, one who doesn't have the experience speaks about these things like, you know, I am that, so I become that. Yes, but in an essential sense. Otherwise, there is to be dissolution. But this itself is wonderful. 
to arrive at the same status of consciousness as the divine to become a part and parcel of the divine mother to become a conscious portion of her being and to know recognize and realize her as the light of our intelligence life of our life the very breath of all that sustains us nourishes us it's a wonderful wonderful thing to experience and live another kind of mukti follows something which is closer to the aim of the integral yoga shubhendra uses the term sadharma mukti we all are bound by a certain nature which we call as the dharma of each species a tiger kills the deer it's its dharma a snake bites the dharma man must be kind considerate towards other creatures lead a more sattvic life according to the tenets of either a religion or an ethical law that is his dharma proper dharma we can also deviate from our dharma a man may behave like an animal he deviates from his dharma he may behave like a snake and then we say it is perverse it's not perverse in a snake in a snake it is self defense if a man behaves like a tiger and devours the deer it's perverse it's not man's dharma man's dharma is to live at least by an ideal ethic by a kind of mentalized rule of conduct whether he picks it up from a religious scripture or he picks it up from more secular thought it's one's own choice but still this dharma moves within a narrow band god transcends it we see in mahabharata krishna engages in a gori war in killing god is not bound by any of these dharmas so there is another dharma if you may use the word the dharma of the divine consciousness or the nature of the divine the divine action is not bound by human laws of what should be or what should not be done what is the proper thing to do what is not the proper thing to do instead we should say what the divine does is the proper thing to do i am reminded of a small little incident when people were talking about sri aurobindo's english you know sri aurobindo's english can be sometime very difficult so a professor of english a very um, well known at that time professor v k gokak make it made a very interesting remark he said it is not english that shurbindo writes what shurbindo writes is english it is not human standards that the divine must follow what the divine does become standards of the future we see how rama set new standards very new standards he was a rebellion in his own way which we cannot imagine at that point of time where you know uh, there were very strict categories he dines with the rakshasa takes him in his fold he offers shraddha for the vulture because he has been friendly to his father he makes friends with the monkeys and the bear it's a kind of socialism but a divine socialism vedantic communism he, he it was a rebellion at its point of time we cannot imagine that that age sri krishna also broke away from the old standards set new norms which will become norms of the future and we see again mother and shurbindo breaking the old patterns habits and setting new norms which over hundreds of years probably we'll realize but already we can see that things are moving in that direction but even beyond all these norms and standards the divine acts under the impulsion or by the impulsion of truth it's a truth vision it's not based on a logical analysis or a code of conduct or a standard of doing things so as we grow into the divine nature we also begin to quite naturally spontaneously that will begins to express and manifest itself in us and it may be disorienting for people who don't understand this and who are around but 
That's how it works. To grow in the divine nature. And all this action is in a state of total peace. The divine does not get agitated. Even when he is, uh, you know, she, she, Krishna is smiling, sitting in the chariot, even though he is conducting a whole war. That is one of the signs of the growing divine action. That there is a state of peace. Even in the midst of storm, in the, even in the midst of an action which demands a tremendous strenuous effort, still there is a fundamental peace. Of course the body may tire, flesh tends to tire, but an inner state is a state of peace, of bliss, of joy, of harmony. So we begin to grow into the nature of the divine. This is another kind of mukti. Along with that there are many experiences which come on the path. And as I have been saying, Many times we miss the joy of the path because we have put for ourselves an unnatural, fantastic goal usually supported by a whole lot of mental web. For instance, people come to this yoga and you know they say, ah, we'll become a new being, a supramental being. Maybe a supramental being has greater muscular capacity, can take on ten goons. Maybe a supramental being can do a lot of miracles and impress others. Maybe a supramental being can put his money in the share market just at the right place, which is going to come up. People used to ask this to Sri Aurobindo. It's not a joke. People used to ask this to Sri Aurobindo that I believe you are a great yogi from America. So would you mind telling us that, you know, where should we put our money and we would share with you the booty. It's there. <laughs> We know how Mr. Henry Ford, his also name comes and he had put a big price tag on a particular uh, kind of question whose proof he wanted and people, this reached the mother and the mother said, we are not interested in that kind of thing and that kind of money. So, you know, all kinds of fascinating uh, things. If nothing else, oh, I'll be a superman. The word super prefix to man means aggrandized man I can do whatever I want I can get whatever I want and then they keep on waiting for that fantastic superman to suddenly <laughs> one day they wake up and they should be able to do all these things and when this doesn't happen they become frustrated it's like pursuing spiritual life the way we pursue ordinary life I want to rise to the top of a company if I don't get promotion it's not worth it so what we miss Apart from that, we have foolishly set a false goal based on our mental conception. What we miss is the joy of the path. Plenty of small, small touches in everyday events of our life, every circumstance, which we refuse to acknowledge only because we are looking for an experience. Sometimes a dazzling experience and Shurabindo cautions us. It is very dangerous if we are looking for dazzling experiences. We may misled. Hitler was having experiences of a being whom he called as God. And he had a dazzling light around his head. He used to wear a dazzling helmet. In the Rig Veda, in the Vedas, this being is called Vala. He is one of the four Asuras. And the mother said it was an Asura of falsehood who was guiding him. And you know, because this man was looking for a dazzling light, he said, very nice, let me put up a show. He can be easily fooled. But one of the signs that the soul emerges in us is that it is not fooled by appearances, even if it's very holy appearances. We can be easily fooled, misled. Anybody wearing, you know, saffron clothes, talking some slokas from Ramayana and doing pravachana on the Bhagavat, and people just flock there. This is a, it's not the person's fault actually. It's just that we don't have developed inner sense to recognize the true from the false. And as the soul steps out, there is a very nice term used in Sanskrit for describing the soul. It is said, it is like a swan, Hansa. So what does the swan do? Mythically, I don't know whether, uh, I would actually like to know if a swan ever does that. But it's a very beautiful thing. It's called as Nir, Shira, Vivek. If you mix water with milk, Nir is water and Shira is milk. If you mix it, swan knows how to separate the two. It can separate the two. So the soul knows how to separate the covering from the hidden truth. It cannot be deceived. 
it knows the divine because of that it does not you know know the divine because of some external proof the mother used to say how you know how does she initiate she says you will recognize me very simple it's not because she has done suddenly a fantastic miracle plenty of things happen but it's not by that or outward sign nothing those who look for outward sign got deceived oh she is a french lady how can she be god god is only monopoly of india god can play games he can wear any any which shape can be born in any country that's how the mother said in her reminiscences she says i belong to no civilization no country no race nobody can claim me exclusively i obey no one no master i belong to the divine and i obey only the divine that's her inner state this she wrote in when she was in france uh, in japan japan yes so this is this and how does the soul recognize soul can recognize it alone can recognize it's not like somebody tells that oh you know so and so is divine not at all when the time comes the soul will recognize it doesn't have to uh, go through any external thing similarly the soul loves and loves shubhendra says beautifully that there are various kinds of bhakti there is a bhakti of the mind which is based on proofs or it is god then he must do something fantastic and phenomenal that's how the mind approaches the vital has bhakti based on give and take give me this and i'll have bhakti for you but the soul loves the divine because it knows the divine it doesn't set any a priori condition and the sign of the growing soul or the light of the soul within us is that this love becomes more and more deeper and unconditional because it begins to become one with the love of the divine it's the love of the divine turning towards the divine that is called bhakti there is no other love there is only one love beautifully narad dava was reading to feel love and oneness there is no second love at a lower level it takes animal forms slightly higher level it takes human form still higher it takes a more divine form so divine form of love is unconditional love and we begin to love the divine the creation those around unconditionally because that's the nature of divine love he doesn't set any conditions that you have to be this you have to be that you have to be someone someone great you must have read the scriptures you must be observing all the outer codes of conduct then i will love you if he laid such conditions he would not be divine and we would never be worthy of our love is the divine precisely because he can love without any prior conditions so the bhakti for the divine which begins to grow in the sadhak aspirant is of that nature and that brings result it doesn't make any reservations and as it grows in every touch of life whether it be a gentle caress of a passing breeze or the blow that smites and takes away everything from us in one go one stroke in both one recognizes the divine and loves him surrenders to him continues to have faith this is the psychic love love and as it grows it begins to love more and more it begins to want the divine for the sake of the divine initially we want the divine for fulfillment of this or that desire and the divine allows it because that's our infancy of the soul it's not that the divine doesn't grant what what we desire he does that but he does expect that one day we will grow up and we will no more desire the divine for the sake of what he gives but for the sake of the divine and we see this in children children initially for them the love for parents is because they are nourisher nurturer protector as you know there was a joke that my father is my atm card what he can give not give all right parents give but if love remains there then when parents grow a little old then children realize that well this atm card has become expired now 
and the parents die before they have died they are died before in front of their child because they get deprived of that love it was not love they felt that child is loving but it was not the parent that the child was loving it was the money that the child was loving it was the uh, power that the child enjoyed because of closeness to the parent but when a child really loves the parent the sign is that even when there is nothing and when he has to now it's his turn the child will say don't worry i am there i'll take care very rare children do it some do it no doubt so same thing with the divine lot of people claim to be bhaktas but the bhakti is of this nature till i get from the divine <laughs> that's why in many movements there is lot of stories after stories of miracles books published about miracles to attract people and people are easily attracted by miracles again it's not that miracles don't happen plenty of them i myself narrated a few but it's not so that you know we start turning towards the divine for the sake of miracle it doesn't matter even if not a single miracle takes place love remains because that is the nature of love it's a self existent reality by self existent it means it doesn't depend on anything else bliss is a self existent reality <coughs> peace is a self existent reality compassion is a self existent reality these are part of the divine nature and as we begin to grow into this nature quite naturally spontaneously we begin to share these things as the psychic begins to grow this knowledge this love this faith begin to quite naturally grow and spread into different parts of a being it's not only about the divine but also about the divine in this world in people in things it can go to such extent that even you can't hurt a flower it's not a rule of conduct that you have to follow not to harm because you feel it's vibrating with something living even an inanimate object something which is not living we draw this distinction that don't thou shalt not kill thou shalt not hurt living things get hurt but as we grow in this consciousness even what we call as non living we are very very conscious and careful we don't just you know okay use and throw it's a very commercial utilitarian approach it just becomes impossible you can't do it because that object has served us it is still conscious there is a relation formed the object can't speak it can't say that look you know i have served you but we do it so casually we just use it and fling it aside this is uh, a natural these things naturally develop as we grow towards the divine it's not based on anything external then other things begin to happen that our normal operations of nature our thinking feeling willing they begin to change into supernormal operations of nature for example intuitive knowledge begins to pour intuition is not clairvoyance that okay what is going to happen next moment i must know it no it's not that but it like a flash shows something fundamental essential through large spaces of time and as we move we realize that yes that's how it was it begins to show it may even show things which are in the immediate future even sometimes things of a very practical nature but that's not the usual operation of intuition so this is how intuition begins to develop when shurbindo saw in kali's image the world mother that's one beautiful example of intuition that one experiences the presence the presence can be known only through intuition not by analysis so intuition is something which for a moment identifies itself with the depths and therefore we know that here is the divine so capacity for inspiration knowledge begins to pour in not just knowledge of a one kind but in many areas of life 
it can be developed to a point where even technical knowledge can begin to come. We know in mother's life, so many examples in Golconda, how she would say exactly, this is how it should be done, this is how it should be. When they all consulted and couldn't arrive at a conclusion logically, they would go to the mother. And when mother would point out, they would say, oh yes, we never thought it like that. It can go to an extent, it can extend in the medical field. Whatever field we are working in, it begins to extend in that. In the legal field, in the field of business, it begins to enrich our life. That, well, this is how. But we can't do, practice spirituality with this idea. That, oh, fine, it will help my business. So let me now get intuition. It doesn't work at all like that. But as intuition grows, it extends itself into different fields of manifestation. In Odisha, they have a very nice, uh, you know, Shurbindo's, as an extension of Shurbindo's yoga, integral yoga movement, they have what they have termed as Dash Karma Dhara, the 10 fields in which they want to extend this action. So one of them is health and healing. Then there is legal administration. So then one begins to become an administrator with a difference, manager with a difference, lawyer with a difference, doctor with a difference, because something else begins to work in the person and through the person. So it's a very vast field. In every sphere it will come. Art, culture, um, dance, music. Naradava is you know, describing how Mother asked him to bring a new music. We have heard Sunil Das music. The possibilities are numerous, enormous. So it's not just intuition only about something inside. Again, it has a subjective side. And it can express itself very, very objectively, revealing truths about things without necessarily reading or being well informed into through scholarly articles. It can go to an extent where it can bypass the process of nature. For instance, healing can take place very, very spontaneously without using all the mechanisms of nature or one may use the mechanisms of nature when intuition develops and have much better result. Or as we have seen how temporarily Chitranjan Das, Shurbindo's advocate got seized by an intuitive inspiration. This is the sign how it works in the legal field. He ended, he asked Shurbindo, what should I tell? Shurbindo told him nothing. He said no. Divine will inspire you. Normally one asks somebody who is in the jail and asks, you know, you tell us, guide us, what happened, what didn't happen, how to manipulate the case. He said no, nothing. Divine will inspire you. And what an inspired speech he gave. Long after this controversy is hushed, the man who stands before you stands in the courtroom of history. Long after this controversy is hushed and we are all dead and gone, his words will echo and re-echo across distant lands. Who spoke? Not Chitranjan Das. He was seized by another consciousness. How that consciousness would have seized the judge, Beechcroft. Even his judgment is very strange. Where he does acknowledge for a change that that person who is being called upon to be judged is superior to me in every way than I who am judging it, him. All What are these things? This is the clear play of intuition in a field which is completely hardcore field of falsehood. So it can begin to work in many fields. The supramental being will not be just a being who is absorbed inside in Bhaj Govindam. In him, Govinda will extend in the war field. Govinda will extend in law, politics, everywhere. All will be one play of Govinda. So this is how these new things, the heart begins to experience what it has never experienced. For instance, there is a nice line in Savitri on love. We love what common hearts repel and dread. It is because heart is awakened to a new reality. Shiva loves some of these creatures. Krishna loved the Pandavas. Poor fellows were the most, you know, outcast people. Krishna should have loved Duryodhana. That is something, you know, two great kingdoms, Yadava and Hastinapur would have joined together and conquered the world. He doesn't. We love what common hearts repel and dread. We do what the common mind dares not think. Not even it doesn't do. It doesn't even think the possibility. 
and one begins to do it. Formation of Auroville, for instance. Can a 91-year-old person ever heard? I have not heard. It will be wonderful to know if somebody has ever, at the age of 91, floated a new city. And of what kind of city? An international city where there will be no such boundaries, but something totally different and the mother started it at the age of 91, 1968. Who would do it? I mean, I can't imagine. So this is how intuition begins to, the, the divine working, when it starts, it takes the charge of breath and speech and act. Pranayam becomes natural. It is a common experience that people have that when meditation becomes natural, the breath spontaneously becomes natural. We don't have to do anything to the breath and then become quiet. It begins to work from within outward. The body automatically begins to adjust itself within so that a state of harmony comes and illness is out. And so many instances, so many instances, all of us I am sure must have had. I have had quite a few of the way mother works and changes things from within outward. Because the body opens up, becomes receptive and it once again gets the state of harmony out of disharmony. So this working of the higher consciousness, even from a most practical point of view, this is the best thing for human beings to strive for. Very often people ask this question, oh all this is fine, but how does it help me practically? If this is not practical, then nothing is practical. Then the only thing is to remain in that same old rut, with the same old quarrels, issues, struggles, brief joys, brief successes, failures, and at the end of it, do che foot jameen ke niche. Ya che foot asman ke upar. Fire or the grave. Dust unto dust and under dust to lie. Omar Khayyam. Dust, that's how he describes man's predicament. Dust unto dust and under dust to lie. Sans wine, sans song, sans singer, sans end. That is one kind of life. Fine, we can make a choice. But we must know that even our most astounding successes are going to end this way. And if you don't know it, then we are really living in, then we are living in some lotus eating land. Not the mystic. Mystic knows this. And therefore, while he still has energy, strength and the courage, he takes an alternate route. Course correction much early. It's not a retirement yoga. That okay, fine. After I have tasted all this, let me do a post-retirement plan. That book a seat with God. Then God will say, okay, you can come to me, but through the graveyard. Same old rut. But there is another plan. We can do course correction. We can lead a full life. That's what yoga means. To unite. We are leading half a life. Maimed, incapacitated. Full of the uncertainty, the unpredictable. Death, desire, incapacity. Stock arts at will. None can ensure that, you know, this won't happen. We struggle to achieve something and when we have achieved, everything else has slipped away that we thought we will get through the success. I have seen people jump off a building to die when with great difficulty they have managed to get to the top because they realized everything else has been snatched away. That's not life. We may call it life, but it's nothing but a habitual groove of nature. But there can be another life the divine life we have been speaking of. Where the journey and the goal and the goals, there is no end to this journey. That's another very beautiful thing. Both are delightful. Another beautiful thing about Sri Yoga is it doesn't say you will have these experiences marking the stages. It's not a good thing to have mental formations about this light, this vision. Many things may happen and something to divine loves to take infinite variations, infinite ways of delight with his devotee. 
to some he will give this kind of experience to somebody something else it's his joy and there is a great joy in that it's our unique relation with the divine we are not in comparison with somebody else very often people start you know oh that sadhak had this experience i must also have it <laughs> why don't we allow in poor divine he would be hard pressed if everybody is going to give the same thing he'll be so monotonous let's think about him poor fellow has to keep doing the same thing with everybody to one bhakta he reveals in one way to another another way to a third one in different way and that's the beauty of this creation and there's the beauty of the uh, you know approach to the divine and similarly in this yoga we can't say this is the end he who says i have arrived knows not the truth truth is not an end point truth is an endless discovery because truth is not a number but the infinite and so the more one grows into this yoga the more one feels like a child who is full of wonder ever ready to discover not a yogi who has found and now he has only to give to others it will be absurd to have that kind of consciousness which will only flatter the ego so this higher consciousness and its working what should be the cause is spiritualization the first part that we spoke about was psychicization growth of bhakti and intuitive inner knowledge and intuitive discrimination all this is part of the psychic and the other where a working of a higher consciousness a higher form of knowledge a higher kind of love a higher kind of impulsion that seizes us and makes us act even sets bodily disorders right this is part of the working of higher consciousness and this two together prepare us eventually for the supramental change the complete divinization this is the process the triple realization of this yoga if one may use the word and many many other things of which the human tongue cannot utter because they are either too sacred or too profound i would like to just read a passage and then because the last day i am just hurrying through but i would like to have some odd questions because this is the last session but first a small passage to complete this what is the integral fulfillment and what is the purpose of our embodied existence to see know become and fulfill this one one with a capital o in our inner selves and in all our outer nature was always the secret goal and becomes now the conscious purpose of our embodied existence all nature strives to manifest the one through colors forms hues shades arrangement patterns numbers ultimately it's trying to fulfill the one so that is also the goal of our individual existence to be conscious of him in all parts of our being not just in some inner depths in trance the mother once asked shurbindo what is this thing that people call trance in india shurbindo said it's a form of unconsciousness <laughs> because mother said i have always been conscious of him in the waking consciousness <laughs> he said yes and then he confirmed to her that your realizations have gone beyond the realizations of the vedas and the upanishads she was conscious of him all the time why this so much talk about ah he has gone into trance sometimes the line between trance and sleep is very thin it's only question of perception of somebody outside there is something called a genuine trance but most often it is a state of unconsciousness from which very little is brought to the surface even when some beautiful experiences happen because we are not conscious to be conscious of him all the parts in the mind in the heart in the very body cells eventually at least in the physical consciousness that is the goal and equally in all that the dividing mind sees as outside not only in me i have found the divine and then who are you my enemy number 1 how should binda says my rivals downfall is my own disgrace i look at my enemy and see krishna's face this is called found the one 
there's no other self but there is only one when a famous um, mirabai went to vrindavan and a great mystic refused to see her because she is a woman a woman can't be allowed in the most secret chambers in certain sects so mirabai wrote a very beautiful line oh it's a revelation to me that i am a woman i thought that in this world there is only one man and all others are women purusha sa purusha evascha he alone is all others are women they are nature prakriti aspiring towards him drawn towards him so then he said yes as caller who is she <laughs> she is not uh, she has gone beyond the limitations of these distinctions of gender with regard to nature she knows the truth so this is how in everyone not to cut creation into even this half man and woman in the ashram context when people would ask mothers he said why can't you forget this difference of man and woman i am trying so much to help you forget it so in ashram very freely you see that you know men and women walk together or they are friends or they will go to playground and you know they will both wear many times same kind of dress and you wonder what is this it's because it drops off it goes this mentality constantly that there is this man and there is this woman and they have something else you know going on this is a very very dark kind of you know it it reveals our own ignorance and our own stupidity it has its utility at a certain stage no doubt about it but not beyond a certain stage it has its purpose and we should understand its band frequency in which it's good but beyond that band frequency it becomes counterproductive so we begin to see the one divine in everyone and he is so beautifully shubhendra says in his poem who these are his works and his veils and his shadows but who is he then by what name is he known is he vishnu or brahma man or a woman bodied or bodiless twin or alone in the laughter of boy in the blush of a girl in the strength of a man in the beauty of woman the hand that sent jupiter spinning through heaven spends all its cunning to fashion a girl this is called seeing the divine everywhere in all things not just in the drifting of the galaxies but also in the formations of those minute quasars particles in a stone randomly one picks up on the sea beach and says wow wonderful equally in the rainbow one admires that out of nothing he has created such a wonderful painting art so this is how one begins to perceive this world this what shubhendu is the dividing mind is the consummation of the individual consciousness the barriers are gone to be possessed by him and possess him in ourselves the divine likes it both ways possessed by him we understand what does it mean to possess him we cannot possess him but he allows by the god of love so mother no mother i want this okay fine she plays that game but when the love has grown so deep when we are totally taken up in the gita this is a wonderful term madbhava brahma bhuta this is what it means it's not some abstract term it's a real term of inner life madbhav to be filled with consciousness of him madbhava madbhakta madhyaji ma namaskuru and another term that the gita uses is brahma bhuta filled with brahman so here it is to possess him and be possessed by him to be possessed by him and possess him in ourselves and in all things is the term of all empire and mastery this is the inner mastery samrajya to enjoy him in all experiences of passivity and activity to play with the divine not only when we are sitting and meditating but when we are walking 
when we are speaking, when we are having going to a picnic, when we are flying, to enjoy him in all experience. What a wonderful life this is. And God knows why people stay away thinking it's something, oh my God, spirituality means, no, 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 maybe when I retire. <laughs> Already we are half dead, no energy is left. Already there are so many complications of life by then, which we cannot resolve. But look at the joy that awaits us at our doors. Of peace and power, of unity and difference is the happiness which the jiva, the individual soul manifested in the world is obscurely seeking. Even now we are seeking it, as beautifully we heard in Savitri. And love is a yearning of the one for the one, and beauty a rich difference of the same. So beautiful it is. This is the entire definition of the aim of integral yoga. It is the rendering in personal experience of the truth which universal nature has hidden in herself and which she travails to discover. It is the conversion of the human soul into the divine soul and of natural life into divine living. And then finally he gives us what is the secret and what is the difficulty. But it is difficult for the egoistic consciousness to do this at all at the beginning. It is difficult at first because our egoistic habit of thoughts, of emotions, of feeling block up the avenues by which we can arrive at the perception that is needed. See, we were reading yesterday exactly the same thing. Mother says, divine is everywhere but you are shriveled up. You have closed all the doors. He is knocking at the door. And we are saying, wait, we are too busy. With whom are you busy? I am busy with my child. God, please come back later. So he comes back later. Have you fed your child? Yes, but now I am hungry. So again, God knocks. Are you ready now to receive me? I am feeling very sleepy and lethargic. Please, please can we do it another day? So he comes another day and another day and another day and groups of nature bind us till finally it is okay, another life. So that's not a way. It is difficult afterwards because the faith, the surrender, the courage requisite in this path are not easy to the ego-clouded soul. Because the divine working is not the way the human being wants it to work. The divine, oh, he says that immediately. The divine working is not the working which the egoistic mind desires or approves for it uses error in order to arrive at truth. Our errors are his steps upon the way. It wants always everything should be neat and perfect from step one to step hundred. Divine pushes us into errors. And through that builds up the body of truth. We don't understand it. Why he does that? But that's how the divine working goes. Uses error in order to arrive at truth. Suffering in order to arrive at bliss. Imperfection in order to arrive at perfections. The ego cannot see where it is being led. It revolts against the leading, loses confidence, loses courage. These feelings would not matter, for the divine guide within is not offended by our revolt. That is the hope. We may revolt. Oh, mother, she has done this to me. Divine is not offended. Dilip Kumar Rai said so many things against mother, went away. For 14 years the mother kept his room. When people said, why are you keeping his room? Mother said, because every night his soul comes and wants to rest in this atmosphere. This is love. So divine is not offended. Not discouraged by our want of faith or repelled by our weakness. This is not the divine wants. He knows that we are what we are. He doesn't have to test us or know us. He has the entire love of the mother and the entire patience of the teacher. So we'll close with that line of Savitri. His failure is not failure whom God leads. Through all the adamantine march goes on even through the tangled anarchy called fate, even through the bitterness of death and fall, an outstretched hand is felt upon our lives. 
It is near us in unnumbered bodies and parts. It keeps in its forever safe in its unslackening grasp the Godhead promised to our struggling souls. When man's heart first dared death and suffered life, how beautiful this is, the crown of conscious immortality. The one who has shaped this world is ever its Lord. Our errors are his steps upon the way. He works through the fierce vicissitudes of our lives. He is active all the time, divine. He doesn't sleep, only in meditation I will meet him. No, in the battlefield of Kurukshetra he is there. He works through the fierce vicissitudes of our lives. He works through the hard breath of battle and toil. He works through our sins, our sorrows and our tears. Whatever the appearance, we must bear. When nothing we can do but drift and bail. Whatever our strong ills and present fate. When nothing we can do but drift and bail. A mighty guidance leads us still through all. A date is fixed in the calendar of the unknown. Yesterday we spoke about date for <laughs> the conference. But this is another date. A date with the divine. How nice to say, I am going out on date with the Lord. How beautiful it would be. But we cancel our date with the divine for all other dates. A date is fixed in the calendar of the unknown. An anniversary of our birth sublime. Our soul shall justify its checkered walk. And all shall come near that now is not or far. And then beautiful two lines. After we have served this great divided world. God's bliss and oneness are our inborn right. I think it's sharp, 10.30, maybe 5 minutes. If anybody has any particular question, we can take it quickly. And if no questions, then we can... Yes, please. Very simple. We can go into uh, a little deeper analysis because we have to use the word I. Even Vivekananda used the word I. Shurabindra and the mother used the word I. Which I is this that chose? If you chose to stay, still it would be I. But the I that takes pleasure in the family. The I which wants to see the family happy. But the I that chose to come here in spite of being a Sunday and listen to, listen to a or whatever, boring or stimulating lecture. It's not the lecture, mind you. I can tell you for sure that it's not because of the lecture. That may be how the mind presented it. But something you feel in the atmosphere. What is this I which eats the honey? Soul is regarded, you know, called as very, this very nice term in the Upanishad and the Vedas, another one to describe the soul. Eater of the honey. What is it? For which one has come. Then you will see that this I which led you here is not the normal egoistic I, but something that is covered behind this mask of the ego, something which is open towards something higher, more beautiful, more luminous. And that I made the choice. But we have to use the word I. So, you know, term doesn't mean anything, but the sense we put into that term. So, that's how we can, you know, this is not an egoistic choice. Though sometimes the soul may act through the mask of the ego. It would have been an egoistic choice if by coming here you would have made some, you know, big advantage in, you know, whatever work you are doing, business or something. Or, you know, it would have been something materially rewarding or uh, some fulfillment of desire or some assertion of the ego self. But none of these things. You have come here to drink the fountain of divine love.
and the soul comes to do that. So that's not an ego. Like people go all the way to Pondicherry, leaving so much behind and spending time, energy, money just to sit for a few moments near the Samadhi. So that's to develop oneself. We can put it even other way. Let's forget about the ego and other things. We want to do our best in the world in terms of family and everybody. How can we really do our best only when we have arrived at our own fullness? How can a flower offer itself best to the divine when it blooms fully? That's why half-bloomed flowers are not offered to the... So we have to first bloom fully. Now this may be regarded with some people as selfish. Oh, you are happy with your own bliss and peace. No. When we bloom fully, we help others to bloom. We can take the famous example of Gautama the Buddha. Lot of people hold it against him that he left his family and walked away into the forest. But imagine this situation. On one side, Buddha, who remained a king of the Sakya kingdom and a very devout husband and father. Yes, he would have been of some goodness. Certainly, family would have probably loved him or he may have gone through the usual quarrels and things. But think of the Buddha under the Bodhi tree who is sitting silently is illumining masses of mankind far and beyond. Which Buddha is better? Which Vivekananda is better? The one from Presidency College who should have become a lawyer and looked after his family needs. His family was in real, real dire straits. And there was a point of time and I am saying the choice was so much more crucial for men like him. He once told Sri Ramakrishna that, you know, I'm, you please talk to Mother Kali, you have a hotline. Tell her to do something for my family members. I am torn. I can't take sannyasa. It will be selfish. So he said, you also have a hotline. I have connected it. Go and talk. Go inside and tell her. So he goes inside and comes out. And Ramakrishna asked, so you asked Mother Kali. I don't know. When I stood before her, I kept on asking Gyan, Bhakti, Vairagya. Wisdom, devotion, detachment. He said, you are an idiot. Go inside. I have told you. So he goes inside again, comes out. I can't ask this. He says, fool, once more, go. Go, I am telling you. Again he comes out, he says, no, I can't ask. So this is not, you know, it may appear that Vivekananda perhaps would have been very nice if he looked after his family, got married, had some children. (laughs) Maybe. But Vivekananda, who spoke at Chicago, Vivekananda, who stirred the masses of mankind with his luminous thoughts, Vivekananda, who continues to inspire a generation despite all the kinds of materialistic thought that people have. Shorabindo also, he left behind Milani Devi and came to Pondicherry. Did not even make a phone call to her. You know, I am going to Pondicherry, would you like to accompany? Shall I book a ticket? Nothing. One Adesh, go to Chandanagar. Out he goes. Another Adesh, go to Pondicherry. There he goes. His wife also suffered. He hardly led a, you know, what can be called as a family life. Even in Baroda, she hardly stayed with him. Now, Sri could have led that kind of life. Surely, he was a very, very capable man. He would have been rolling in riches, made become very famous. And his wife would have been perhaps very happy. That, ah, but here is Sri when he is in jail. His wife, Rilani Devi, goes to Shardama, Sri Ramakrishna Ashram, Sri Ramakrishna's wife, Holy Mother, and says, he is in the jail. What will come out of him? He says, Oh, the Divine Mother has taken him in her arms. He is bound to get freed. But he is no more your or oro. He will not remain confined to a family life. He is born to give light to the whole world. So, To arrive at fullness is the first responsibility of human beings. And while he is arriving, obviously there are things which are associated with us because of our past, whatever, groups of nature and we carry them. But that cannot be sacrificed for this. I am now using without bringing in the terms of ego and, you know, soul. Purely from a practical point of view. And the best is when we do it paradoxically and interestingly, All those who love us and whom we love and cherish, they actually stand to benefit eventually. 
This is the other part of the story. Eventually, it helps. Sri wife in Lani Devi is, is said that probably she was an accursed goddess. And simply by being close to Sri she had her own high liberation, imagine. But he never looked after her from the point of view of an external man who gives a lot of money and uh, you know buys ornaments or builds a house for her, nothing. He says at one, uh, one place that, you know, I'm a very bad father. <laughs> and at another place, I refuse to be domesticated. <laughs> when people would call him, you know, um, uh, father. So he said, <laughs> I'm a very bad father. <laughs> I refuse to be domesticated. <laughs> but the Shiorabindo today, all of us know. So this is how we have to look at it. There are higher aspects of ourself and there are lesser aspects of ourself. And the law of sacrifice demands that we sacrifice the lower and the lesser for the sake of the higher and the vaster existence. So we close it. Anybody ever has any queries, uh, please feel free to mail and I'll be happy to respond. My email is with Asubai and I'm sure everybody. Okay, thank you.